0: Hello and good afternoon, Villanova. You are listening to WXVU 891 The Roar. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Allison. And I'm Ryan. And we have a very special broadcast for you this afternoon.
1: We have with us a guy, we practiced this beforehand.
0: Would you pronounce your last name for us?
2: Sure, my last name is Shiraki.
0: Shiraki, okay. It's
2: just like it's spelled.
0: Pronouncednames.com did not give us the correct pronunciation. Yeah.
2: Another internet failure.
0: (laughs) It's okay, I always get Bahada, so I'm with you in the very mispronounced last name camp.
2: So, uh, Guy, would you care to introduce yourself? Sure, good afternoon. My name's Guy Shiraki, and I'm running for governor of Pennsylvania, and I live nearby campus, actually in Paoli, about 15 minutes from campus.
1: Great, so we're very happy to have you here today. Okay. Okay. Um, So, uh, I think we're going to get right into some of the questions. So you've lived in the Philadelphia area your your whole life. Uh, You went to Villanova for law school. So would you care to talk a little bit about how your time at Villanova impacted your life and career?
2: Sure. Yeah, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, I grew up in South Philly, uh, St. Joe's undergrad, and then here at Villanova for law school. And. If I look back to my years at Villanova, I think the two best things uh, that really helped me prepare for this run for governor were, first of all, that um, it was a very diverse campus in the sense that, uh, you know, folks of every religion and racial background and all different political perspectives. So you got a chance to hear everybody's uh, points of view, and that's a, a great life experience. The second was is that we were challenged all throughout law school to be able to argue all sides of arguments and issues in the classroom and outside of the classroom. So in order to do that, uh, and in order to do it well, you had to become good at what you really believe, but also get an appreciation for folks you may have disagreed with. So I think both of those experiences really helped me prepare for this run for governor.
0: Hmm. That's a very fascinating insight, and when did you attend Villanova Law School? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, uh, I graduated in 1990.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. how Have you seen the campus change a lot since you've graduated, or does coming back feel very much the same?
2: Well, so it is very different than when I graduated. The campus footprint and size is probably tripled in size, mm. uh, from the sports stadiums to the new dorms along Lancaster Avenue, much of which were parking lots. Um, But I am a bit, you know, spoiled in the sense that I live only about 15 minutes away. So I've gotten to watch all the changes over the years live as they took place and seen all the growth, much like my campus down the road at St. Joe's, which looks very different than when I was there. So Mm -hmm. one of the benefits of living in such a uh, robust college community is you get to see a lot of different campuses and watch their growth and evolution over time.
1: Very nice. Yeah. So, when you went here, was the new law school built at that point, or was it still housed in Gary?
2: It was still Gary Hall. Oh, the whole sorry. the whole <laughs> law school was there, and we survived somehow. Nice.
1: Well, uh, me and Alison have had many classes in Gary at our time here.
2: Yes,
0: and we've taken some trips to the law school too. Good lunches there.
1: Yeah.
2: They did. Uh, it was not known for the lunches back then. <laughs>
0: Wonderful, so let's move on to our second question. So we wanna know a little bit about what jobs you've previously held and maybe which ones have had the biggest impact on the trajectory of your career.
2: So I've worked in a number of different positions, both inside of government and out, and I think the, the common thread has been that I've been an advocate in one form or another. Uh, even in my volunteer life. So everything from civic associations to working for the Philadelphia Archdiocese to working for education organizations. Most recently, I spent the last eight years as the CEO of the Chester County Chamber of Business and Industry, Mm. represented about 800 businesses of all shapes and sizes from people that worked for themselves or were gig workers to people at small businesses up through companies that everybody would recognize right down the road like Vanguard and QVC. So I, I got to see companies from the size of one employee up to 11,000 uh, and in, I also have worked in government. I served as the chief of staff for the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania and formerly for chief of staff for a state senator. So I've had the opportunity to see the executive branch and the legislative branch up close and personal and again, I think in addition to advocacy, the common thread for through all of this has been I've actually had to work in building coalitions to get things done, and also seeing how other coalitions come together either to make things happen or to stop things. And I think those things have prepared me well. Uh, having an understanding of government, but also the private and nonprofit sector, and also seeing how to get things done and, and watching and how coalitions get to be built, because getting legislation passed, making major reforms takes a team effort. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, your plans for like coalition building a little later on in the interview. And you already kind of touched on our third question we had about your time as the president and CEO of the Chester County Chamber of Business and Industry. Do you want to maybe talk a little more specifically about some of the things you worked on while you held that position?
2: Sure. So I I think two things. One, one you know look for all of us that have been working a long time and have been working through the last two years i think you have to break your professional career into two pieces you know pre-covid and the COVID era pre-covid one of the fascinating things about being the ceo in chester county at the chamber was that everything that happens in the economy happens in chester county and what do i mean by that uh major fortune 500 companies small businesses uh, things, again, like you know, Vanguard QVC, Tasty Cakes, uh, Her's Potato Chips. But at the same time, the number one industry in Chester County is agriculture chester county grows about 75 percent of the nation's mushrooms we also have dairy farms so literally every sector of the economy from manufacturing to high-tech life sciences biopharma happens there and i got a first-hand eye view uh first-hand bird's eye view of every sector of that and that was a wonderful education and a wonderful blessing to get to see all of that look the second lesson of my time there is really from the last two years uh, That wonderful economy, the wealthiest county in the state with the most college graduates, the most advanced degree graduates and the lowest unemployment went to a standstill by last summer. Uh, By May of last year, unemployment in Chester County was 11.9%, the highest ever. And that really shook me because um, downturns in the economy are one thing, but almost an economic standstill where thousands of businesses literally couldn't be open and tens of thousands of people couldn't work. Uh, impacted me greatly and, and working with those businesses and trying to help them keep their businesses alive and not go bankrupt and help their families not go bankrupt totally changed what we were as a chamber and deeply impacted me because, as, as I say from time to time, uh, I'm the first CEO of the Chester County Chamber, the wealthiest county in the state that ever presided over meetings where people cried mm-hmm. because they were absolutely hopeless because they didn't know what the path forward would be. So. Look, learning, learning about everything from agriculture to Vanguard is, is a great education, but also working with people at their lowest moments of anxiety and depression also gives you a whole other understanding of how the economy works and when it doesn't.
0: Mm. I'd love to hear you elaborate a little more on that. How did you sort of make those shifts and make those changes to help people in such a, a drastic economic downturn?
2: Yeah, so a few things. I mean, so like a lot of businesses during the COVID era, you know, the word we all kept using was pivoting and reinventing and reimagining. And we, we pivoted a lot. And, and I won't walk everybody through all the steps. Just, just say that we went from a chamber where our focus was helping the economy grow and trying to work on policies that we thought would help all businesses grow. And by February of 2020, we held our first seminar. What is COVID-19 and how should you be safe? A few days later, we were ordered closed, and we closed and told our businesses to close. And then we started talking about things like PPE material, which was a Mm -hmm. term I never heard before. So that was our first pivot, was introducing our members to how to get safety materials and how to be safe. Immediately, almost immediately, no sooner had we sort of introduced that stuff to our webpage and social media, when we decided to totally change our webpage and totally change our social media, everything about the chamber was stripped away. We stop talking about membership. We stop talking about events. Everything on our webpage centered around coronavirus. How could you remain safe? Where could you uh, get safety materials? What were tried and true sites? So we directed everybody to the CDC or the state or county health department. The next reinvention was when the help came on its way. And then we had to introduce everyone to PPP loans, something that didn't exist before. So we held workshops and seminars. We had information and PDFs to download, uh, links to banks where you could get loans. And then we ran Zoom calls, something I hadn't heard of either before then. Plus the folks at Zoom. So uh, we began to run seminars working with our county commissioners, and we did Zoom calls uh, and conference calls, sometimes with 1,400 businesses on there, which just, again, was just overwhelming to understand the depth. So we reinvented ourselves from, from an organization trying to promote growth, to a public health service, to a public community uh, loan organization. And then at the depths of, of the lockdowns, Uh, We became a social service organization. We were taking in dozens and dozens of emails a day with people asking for advice. Where do I go for loans? Then on our chamber, again, uh, very much reflecting how the world turned upside down, we began posting where people could go to pick up food from food banks, churches that were giving food distribution. Again, nothing like that had ever happened in the history of of our chamber as you can imagine it. Only by the fall of 2020 did we start to begin to slowly look like a chamber if you go to our web page now it's a mix it looks much more like it did pre-covid but there's still all the links to the different organizations that can help businesses and I, as you know as you know anybody listening knows if you go out and about in the world it looks different than it did a year ago but it doesn't look like it did two years ago so we're still working with restaurants hotels caterers uh you know barbershops beauty parlors helping them get back to try and get the employees they need because they're still not quite where they were ahead of time you know before all of this so it's it's been a whirlwind i mean businesses talk about repositioning rebranding i mean we've had to do it five or six times in less than two years it's been an amazing feat and i'm so proud of our board and staff that made that happen
0: that's wonderful to see the adjustment that you guys went from focusing on just business to really taking care of people when they needed it most. That's that's a great thing. Ryan, you wanna go ahead and tackle the next question?
1: Sure, Um, so this is gonna be a little moving on towards uh, your motivations for uh, running for governor. So who has motivated you to run for governor? Who's inspired you in that way? And like, what issues in Pennsylvania have inspired you to run for governor?
2: Sure, so um, the last two years motivated me to run. it, it, I think, as you've heard throughout this discussion we're having, I, I was deeply impacted by that. Uh, unless you're a, some sort of robot or somebody I don't want to hang out with, <laughs> you, you can't you can't preside over meetings where people cry and not not be impacted. So I was motivated by the last two years and really the last five or six months where I saw that many, many businesses, particularly family run businesses, neighborhood businesses, community businesses, haven't had the chance to reopen. The, the economic reality is, is that the smaller businesses, the family businesses, those that were closed the longest, that stayed closed the longest, are having the hardest time get back. And I felt as though they needed an advocate. They needed somebody to step forward and remind people the restaurants and the catering halls, the bed and breakfast, the hotels, the barber shops, the antique shops, the places we go to sort of when we have free time or if we're walking around town or when we go out to eat, Those businesses haven't really come back yet. And somebody needs to remind us that they still need hope. They still need help. And we need to get people back to work. And so I think, uh, you know, I also think at times that government overreached and that some of the things they overreached caused some of the slowdown. And we need to figure out a thoughtful way to peel back some of these regulations, maybe things we did with the best of intentions that have had the unintended consequence of we need workers because people aren't, Working, there's a supply shortage, and if you're running a small business, you're you're hit by sort of that triple whammy. You stayed closed really long. You're in debt. You can't get employees, and the stuff you have to buy costs a lot. Somebody has to break that cycle of despair. So that motivated me very much to to step up and be that person. At the same time, um, you know, with all the challenges in school, and everybody witnessed it here. Uh, and you had your challenges as well. I'm very focused on K-12 education. Uh, We have tens of thousands of students across Pennsylvania who even before COVID may have not been getting the type of education they needed. And certainly the last two years uh, has brought about challenges. So I wanna make sure that we roll up our sleeves and really learn, uh, were students harmed? Were they impacted? Was their learning slowed down? Do they need assistance? And make sure that every student's learning. In my opinion, K-12 education really hasn't modernized. It hasn't kept up with the fact that the economy's different, that that people work in teams, that there's new technologies, that Pennsylvania's economy is evolving. We have bioscience and life sciences. And so I think we need to do that. So my whole campaign, there's a lot of other things that matter, but my whole campaign is centered around two things. One is we have to reopen our local businesses, and two, we have to make sure our kids are in school and learning the things they need to succeed. And long term for Pennsylvania, for the health and excitement of this state, you need both. You need growing small businesses. That's where the entrepreneurs are. That's where the people who volunteer in Little League come from. But you also need students learning. So the whole central theme of my campaign of those things is getting those things working, getting them doing what they need to do. and. As many of you and your listeners say, my vision 10 years from now is that students leave Florida and come to Pennsylvania because the excitement is here. Kids leave Texas and come here. Kids from Austin wake up and say, I want to be in Philadelphia because that's where the next chapter of exciting enterprise is taking place.
0: That's wonderful. And I'm very interested in what you said about education and modernizing our education. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little more on what that sort of looks like in your mind.
2: Sure. So, a few things. One is, even in the best school districts in the state, and if you draw a circle around Villanova's campus, you see some of the best school districts in the state. Even in some of the best in the state, I think at times we just measure ourselves against each other radnor school district is very good or the tradition school district is very good well it's very good compared to other school districts it's not necessarily very good compared to what's going on in the rest of the world Mm. and i think sometimes we've siloed off our schools from businesses we have some great companies here of all shapes and sizes again within within driving distance uh with within a, a walk from this campus are some great companies doing some cutting edge things in communications technology, life science technology. At the K-12 level, we need to make sure that counselors and teachers and students are learning those things and not just your basic, you know, have mom or dad come into class and say, what's it like to be a realtor or what's it like to be a pharmacist? Those are nice and those are good community events, but in a much more thoughtful way. Counselors and teachers understanding what's really happening. So one, we have to break down barriers and do that. Second is the honest truth. There are some schools that don't work. Some of those schools are public schools, some of them are charter schools, some of them are other schools. For the schools that don't work, we have to be able to embrace that. We have to accept that uh, as, you know, sort of state that truth and go out and fix it. So, my vision, again, down the road is schools that are underperforming will be challenged to reform. And until they reform, the kids that are there, their parents should be able to send them somewhere else. And ultimately, if a school fails, the school should close. Uh, you know, I've It's much more complicated, but I reduce it down to this. If there's a public school in a community and no one on the school board would send their daughter there, the school shouldn't be open. And we have to understand that. And that's not about blaming anyone. It's not about, I have no desire to castigate a principal at a school. My point is, there were some excellent schools in Pennsylvania. There are some schools that are objectively, at almost every metric, not doing well. We need an intervention. Those schools need to be fixed. Otherwise, they need to be closed, and those children have to be rescued. Look, I look at the academics no different than anything else. Academics and education should be the great equalizer. Every kid in Pennsylvania should have the opportunity to succeed, and the adults should be responsible to make sure that we have more schools that work. We reform the ones that aren't aren't performing, and if we can't, they should close. So that's what, again, what I look like is a very different model that's much more child-focused and opportunity-focused, and and the grown-ups willing to roll up their sleeves and acknowledge it and take away the labels and concerns about what kind of school it is and make sure that it's a school that works.
0: Thank you for that. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU 891 The Roar, and we are here this afternoon interviewing Guy for Governor live in studio. So we're going to move on to our next question. Um, this is just talking about a little bit of your inspiration as well. Is there any politician, contemporary or otherwise, that has really inspired you in what you do and the career you've chosen?
2: Yeah, well... Um, <laughs> A lot. A lot. But I'll pick three really fast and tell you why. Mm-hmm. So so one is um, somebody that many of the listeners, let's let's start with some of it before I lose everybody. Let's start with somebody <laughs> you may have heard of. So I was very inspired by Ronald Reagan. So when I was in college, Ronald Reagan was president. And Ronald Reagan was a very <clears throat> optimistic person that talked about the, the potential greatness of America and the greatness of individual people and in very much a way, in an inspirational way, called people to their better angels to say, "What, what's your potential and what could you be? The second was a fellow named Jack Kemp. Jack Kemp was a congressman from Buffalo that ultimately later in his career was HUD secretary and even ran for vice president of the United States. But I know him as a congressman and Jack Kemp was a congressman that often talked about his primary focus was opportunity, and reminded us that if government wasn't working for everyone, it wasn't working for anyone, and that if anyone didn't didn't appreciate and didn't feel part of the American dream, the dream wasn't complete. And he had a particular emphasis in the cities that that if you know we couldn't expect people to embrace. Uh, America embraced democracy if somehow they felt as though that democracy or America had left them behind so that he's been someone that's inspired me and last a reach across across the the world uh, to Margaret Thatcher and uh, Margaret Thatcher, when she was Prime Minister of Great Britain, went through all sorts of trying times. But one of the things I admired to her is that she had her beliefs. And even when things were down, she had the courage to stick to them. And so what do I mean by that? And that is, if you believe a certain policy is ultimately gonna make things better, in the beginning, when you first implement it, there's change, there's resistance, and it may not it may not, you know, take some time, just like on a football team or a baseball team, or if you change your philosophy, it's gonna take some time. But I admired her because she she prevailed upon her party. She prevailed upon the people to say, bear with us. This is going to be hard to do because we're going to change the way we do things, and ultimately paid off. So I admired her courage and her, what Mark Twain called, stick-to-itiveness. Uh, so in many ways, uh, look, I think that things need to be different in Pennsylvania. So I look to each of those things. One is, as we try and reinvent Pennsylvania as a destination, we have to call people to their best. We have to make sure no one gets left behind, and I have to have the courage that as we're making these transitions if it's a little bumpy in the beginning to stay the course to see it through to the other side Mm
0: -hmm. it's a very thorough response thank you
1: um you've mentioned a bunch how you want to really like support small businesses and make pennsylvania like a really attractive destination for people maybe wanting to start a new business or move industry here what are some of the specific things that you want to implement to make pennsylvania more small business friendly because i think everyone can recognize that uh a trend in you know american history past 30 40 years was a consolidation at the top uh big businesses has done very very well yeah. so how are you going to make sure to support small business
2: that's an excellent point excellent observation so one is that the workforce shortage that we're facing right now is most critically felt at smaller business uh without without you know going into it much it's just obvious if you're if you're a restaurant that needs 17 people to operate and you're currently at 11 that's much more difficult than if you're a factory that should have 2,000 people and you're missing six right Mm -hmm. it's just you understand the economy of scale so one of the things we need to do is we need to get people back to work Um, and what do I mean by that so Pennsylvania's unemployment rate is is worse than the national average so we're about a point a point and a half worse. We need to get people back to work. So I know it's controversial, but the reality is we we wound up with the best of intentions. So I'll, I'll assume everybody had the best of intentions. But the reality is we paid people not to work. And in the beginning, we did that when we shut things down. But now through the vaccine and masking and the safety protocols we're aware of, uh, I think the next governor has to say it's time to go back to work. And and again, I always say let's let's put aside the folks that that have cancer or have emphysema. Again, there there may be health reasons, but there are by and large, is there's a lot of folks. That it's time to go back to work. Unemployment is, exists as a social compact. We we pay into our taxes to make sure that people that when their business closes or the factory closes or they no longer make buggy whips or rotary phones, those people are given a. Uh, a soft landing and the ability to come back and start over. I think it's time for everybody to come back to work that's able-bodied and can, and we need to make sure the Department of Labor knows who can genuinely come back and is offering the skills to people whose business may have closed. So I think at this point we've, we've neither been truly compassionate nor have we directed people the right way to go the the second is that a lot of the rules and regulations we've had put in place are are overburdensome to small businesses Um, there's just not a you know as i say to folks you know when when you go to a family restaurant or you go to the local antique store and you meet the person behind the counter the the couple behind the counter may be the owners they're also the marketing department they're the accounting department they're the human resources department so when we have regulations and we expect vanguard to operate and we oppose or impose similar regulations on small businesses to to a business with five employees. It can be burdensome. Uh, The other thing, the best thing we can do above and beyond those things, which are very small business specific, is have a growing economy. I mean, restaurants, bed and breakfasts, antique shops thrive and survive when the economy around them is growing. And one of the things we can do is make sure that Pennsylvania is a destination for companies. We have the ability We have the ability right here in the King of Prussia, Philadelphia area, to have one of the leading biopharma hubs in the world. Uh, We have the pieces here, Uh, you know, long before many of the listeners were here, Philadelphia was known nationally and internationally as the pharmaceutical hub of the nation. We now are getting a do-over as right down the road in Great Valley and Wayne and King of Prussia, more and more life science companies are coming in doing cutting edge technology. We have to encourage those because not only will the people who work there that are scientists, chemists, researchers be there, but the people that supply them, the restaurants that support them, the gas stations that where people go to buy gas. So without getting into a long, boring discussion about microeconomics or macroeconomics is what you can do to help small businesses is help them get their employees and not bury them in regulation. But the most the most impactful thing is have a thriving economy so that people have disposable income because otherwise they don't go to antique shops and buy old Beatle albums because those are the first things they don't want to buy anymore when they need to pay for their rent and food.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely like the multiplier effect is a huge for, you know, reviving economies, you know, like where one one business can come in and that really jump starts because people, like you said, have disposable income. Um, so moving on, uh, it is a, pretty crowded field for the Republican primary for governor. Uh, I checked there were, I think, eight or ten uh, people running. Um, what sets you apart from the other Republicans in the primary field?
2: Well, aside from the fact your listeners wouldn't know, I'm clearly the shortest because I've met all of them. Um, so, so two things, uh, ultimately, that are major, major differences. One is if, if you were to record all 10 of us and it may even be more than that before all said and done if you were to record us and ask us what's motivating us to run and what are we focused on my message would sound entirely different it's a much my, my message being focused on getting the uh, small businesses back up and running and growing the economy and offering a sense of hope you know no, very few of my uh Contemporaries, who I many of whom I know, and I've traveled the last two months with them from the Ohio border to the New York and New Jersey border and back again. Uh, very few of them talk about hope in the future. Very few of them talk about what Pennsylvania would look like five or ten years from now. There, there seems to be a focus, and keep reminding us how bad things are, about the lockdowns, about the regulations, about the problems. And, and the reality is I think that's important because everybody wants to know you empathize with them. But at the end of the day, people aren't asking you to run for governor, to sit in their fire hall, or to come to their hotel and talk to a Rotary group and explain to them how miserable things are, or how the hotel industry is in trouble. Those folks all know that. They need to know there's hope. They need, and not just silly hope. Like you should always look at things half full. No, not just that. I mean, but really set forth and say that we can grow the economy, and here's how. Here's how you recruit businesses to come here. So, one, my message is very different. Two is my uh, life experience is very different. Of all the other uh, folks running, almost all of them fall into two camps. There's a group of people running who've spent their life in government as legislators, and they're going to explain to voters that because they were the chairman of this committee or they were there, they understand how to how to work government because they've been there and then there's a whole bunch of folks that have never served in harrisburg and they're going to tell you that everybody in harrisburg is is a knucklehead and you need an outsider and you need to go in and drain the swamp and turn things upside down they're going to use all that imagery and and i i sort of sit here in the middle and say you know with all due respect you're both wrong It it doesn't take somebody who's been in the legislature 20 years and hasn't been outside, hasn't been talking to small businesses, hasn't been really dealing with people because you lose that perspective and with all due deference to the folks on the outside saying, you know, you need an outsider to shake things up. You need an outsider to shake things up, but you need to know how government works and how it doesn't. So those are the the two big things. I mean, my message is different. It's it's more singularly focused on the economy and education, Uh, but ultimately uh, I've worked on things and get them done. I, I helped pass Pennsylvania's law for charter schools. I helped pass our education tax credits so that uh, lower-income families could find ways to get the means to send their kids to Catholic schools or, or private schools. Uh, I've worked on things to deal with the Pennsylvania budget. I've helped my businesses in my chamber grow. So I think it takes that balance of experience in order to get things done and to be impactful.
1: Yeah, and just a little follow-up. You kind of touched on the uh, differences among the Republicans. I know a lot of Republicans running, especially ones running in blue states, um, are dealing with the sort of divide between the more Trump-friendly end of the party and the more moderate end of the party. Um, I know uh, Glenn Youngkin, governor-elect of Virginia, dealt with this and he seemed to navigate it pretty well. Where do you see yourself falling on this uh, spectrum?
2: Yeah, it's a question that comes up all the time, no matter where I am. And, and my, my answer is pretty straightforward. Um, I think anybody running for governor of Pennsylvania that can walk around and see empty storefronts, uh, that can see the help wanted signs in, in Wawa and everywhere else, that can can go, that can, has watched and read stories about the angst in school districts uh, as parents and school board members are, are fighting over masks or mandates or curriculum, that anybody thinks that this election is about the 2020 election and wants to rehash it and either praise or condemn President Trump is entirely mistaken. Um, I've met some of the most conservative Republicans I've ever met. I've met some Republicans that would pass as Democrats from one end of the state to the other. What unites them is that they're concerned about their businesses, they're concerned about the economy, they're concerned about inflation, they're concerned about that gas is rising, milk is rising, heating their homes is going up. And they're not sure what the future is. So, uh, you know, I've said to said to both sides. I've said to, to to use this to use a race for governor, where you are really supposed to roll up your sleeves and figure out how to help your state. To use this as as either a rehash to resuscitate President Trump or to, to try and beat up other Republicans who supported President Trump and sort of wipe him from our memory, if you will, you know, remove the statues of Donald Trump. Uh, I think it's really it's really misguided. And that's been in my advice to my party, is this, this race for governor is about looking ahead, not looking back. Uh, there's a time and a place to do that. And we can all worry about 2024 when it gets here. It's 2021 and our economy needs to be reopened and our kids need to be back in school and learning. Uh, And that's the same message I share at Republican audiences and when I talk to chambers of commerce and it's where I'll I'll continue to stay. And I think uh, my colleagues would do well to realize that at the end of the day, uh, and you know, you talk about Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. At the end of the day, when he was holding rallies in those final days of the campaign, it was about about kids and their future and the economy in the future, it was not a discussion about the future of the Republican Party. His was a discussion about the future of Virginia. Our discussion should be about the future of Pennsylvania. There's a time and place to fix the Republican Party and the governor's race is not to do it.
0: Well, you've given us an excellent segue into our next question. Speaking of the future of Pennsylvania, can you talk a little bit about, I know you've already discussed a lot of your, you know, ideals and your vision, but can you touch a little more very specifically on what you see in store for Pennsylvania at the end of your hopeful first term as governor?
2: Sure. Um, a lot of things, mostly mostly focused around those two issues I talked about, yes. the economy and education. So prior to the pandemic, prior to the COVID era, Pennsylvania uh, was really a bottom state. Folks may not realize it, because when you're here in sort of the greater Villanova area, when you're in Chester, Montgomery, Delaware County, the reality is this is a bubble that exists outside of the rest of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania uh, was rated by both CNBC and US News & World Report as 42nd and 43rd in terms of where would you like to go to start a new business. Mm-hmm. In the last census, we're 46th in population growth. So. You don't have to work at a chamber to understand that it's hard to recruit other companies to come here if you're pitching numbers like 42, 43, and 46. So where do I wanna see us? I wanna see us as a top 10 state. There's no reason we can't be there. Um, And I'll just walk through very fast. So one of the ways you grow an economy is you recognize its assets. We're blessed in Pennsylvania. We have more assets than almost any state in the nation. We should be a top 10. We're one of the nation's leading agriculture states we have more universities per capita than all but two states in the nation we have medical facilities some of the best in the world i mean within within a half an hour drive of here the university of pennsylvania medical system jefferson system children's hospital of philadelphia people literally fly their children from around the world to come here on the opposite end of the state upmc children's hospital of pittsburgh again world-renowned hospitals so we have a first-rate medical system Uh, We have communications giants. I mean, you know, we're the home to Comcast and Verizon. At the same time, as I discussed earlier, we have those life science companies in in Philadelphia, King of Prussia and Pittsburgh. Uh, We also have access to energy. And I know that gets to be a touchy subject, but the reality is Pennsylvania sits on more energy, more natural gas than almost any nation on the planet. And we're a nation of smart people. We have smart people here at Villanova and at Carnegie Mellon and Drexel and Penn and Penn State and Lafayette and Lehigh, and I'm done naming them all, I think. I've touched on most reasons of the state. But the reality is we have to be smart enough to figure out a safe way to get it out of the ground uh, because it lowers the cost. It's cleaner burning than gas, than oil. It's cleaner burning than coal. In the short term, it is a job creator. It's also a way to heat our homes and run our schools and businesses at less cost. It's also that bridge form. It's that bridge fuel. It's the one that gets us away from coal and oil and uh, burns cleaner. It's also the one we need. The reality is to make the solar panels we're going to need, you need to break down natural gas into its component parts to make the polypropylene to build the... The solar panels so pennsylvania is uniquely positioned that if we do it right we can run our things or we can run our businesses at lower cost we can also be a leader not only in natural gas for the next 20 years we could be a leader in solar panel production and construction because of all the things we can make with it so we're, so where do i see the state that's where i see it down the road is that we are a place that you can wake up and we can have manufacturing we can have energy chemistry life sciences medicine technology communications we have some amazing opportunities and there's every reason to embrace those and try and make it what it could be and there's every reason to be optimistic so when i say 10 years from now kids leave austin and say i'm going to philly i'm going to pittsburgh because that's where the excitement is that's not some pie in the sky the the pieces are here we just haven't really focused on how to get them out of the ground and, and get them off the drawing board and make them really happen and i believe we can do that
1: great um just a little follow-up question on um you talked a bit about pennsylvania's tremendous uh, natural gas resources um do you worry that uh continued um utilization of these resources may alienate some especially young voters that would like to see a more aggressive transition away from fossil fuels
2: sure i understand that um that's why to me it, it, it checks you know, if we do it right, we check all the boxes. One is compared to the other fuels. Again, that's why, to me, natural gas is both sever- is several things. One is, it's it's a way to create jobs now and improve the quality of life. The reality is for whatever reason, fate, history, divine intervention, whatever whatever you believe, as you look at the rectangle of Pennsylvania, you look at its economy, the gas is along the west, along the Ohio border, West Virginia border, and the gas is along the north, along the New York border outside of the city of philadelphia those are the poorest places in pennsylvania those are the places without without an economy so in the near term it's a way to help those folks have a wonderful quality of life that they haven't had frankly since the height of the steel era Uh, second is again it this is the bridge fuel this is the one we need to get from from a to b if you this is the one you need to get if you envision a longer term greener Uh, economy, a greener energy economy. Natural gas is the ticket that gets us from A to B. If we're smart, it's part of the fuel that runs our mass transit. It's part of the fuel that runs our businesses. It gets us away from oil. It gets us away from coal. Uh, So to me, it does all of those things in the near term, and that is it it gets us away from dirtier fuels, it helps create jobs, and it helps us as cleaner burning. Longer term, it's the bridge we need to do the things we need to do. Uh, Again, to go back to the issue of solar panels. So I understand the apprehension, but, but if we do it right in the near term, we can have immediate impact on our air quality now, but also we'll have the resources to drastically improve it. Just in the last few years, the reality is is that Pennsylvania's air is cleaner now than, ten, than 10 years ago, in part because we've been converting to gas, so we can do better. But again, longer term. So, you know, it's possible that for the next 20, 10 or 20 years, we could have cleaner burning fuel by using natural gas. But if we break it down into component parts and use it to make solar panels, then you can look at an economy in the 2030s and 2040s where we're a national production uh, producer of solar panels and we're the, we're the state that leads the way in producing solar panels, but also learning how to position them and use them to power everything from, from our farms to our schools. So to me, it, it it's a necessary part to clean our air and it's also exciting because it, we could have all the exciting green technology I mean Pennsylvania Pennsylvania in its history can go from being the state that was the leading oil producer to the leading natural gas producer to we could be the leading green state in the nation because we have the pieces here and the in the universities to help us bridge to get us the smart people to do it mm.
0: Great, yeah. Well, thank you very much for that insight just a quick reintroduction for anyone who may have recently tuned in you're listening to WXVU 89 one, the roar and we're here live in studio with guy for governor as he talks to us about his campaign so i think we have just a few questions left for you i'll take the next one um do you have any advice that you would like to give to young people looking to become politically involved maybe if you could talk to your college self what would you say
2: so one is uh, so three things three things one is Politics is really loud, nasty, and personal right now. Don't let that bother you. Uh, To varying degrees, you you can talk to your folks, you can talk to your parents, you can talk to your friends, you can research on the internet, you can do whatever you want. The reality is, American politics has always had a degree of nastiness. I mean, the founding fathers said horrible things. They spread horrible lies against each other to try and win. The difference now, unlike 200 years ago, is that we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and we're doing it to each other, and we can do it namelessly. But I would say first, you know, I would call you to if you're moved, wherever you are in the political spectrum, whatever your issue is, don't be, don't, don't be uh, intimidated or angered or walk away because it's loud and nasty. You know, be part of the change. Learn how to be passionate without being personal. Learn how to be convinced of your convictions without necessarily thinking somebody's sitting on the other side of the microphone or the other side of the table is necessarily evil or doesn't have something of value to contribute. So one is jump in the arena. The second is um, learn, it, think about what drew you to it. Is it. Is it the political craft? Is it the campaigns and the technology? Or is it issues? And whatever that is, become really good at it. Whether it's you know digital communications, TikTok videos, micro targeting, learning how to where how and where pop up ads should happen to who, then learn that and become the best at it. If you're really driven to the environment or the economy or education or whatever it might be, learn everything you can about it. Because I would tell you that you know the third piece is to get to the get and then go do it. If you go work in a legislator's office uh, within again draw a circle around here, five minutes, fifteen minutes, or an hour there. are Oodles of people who are in the state house state senate or members of congress of, of all political parties that you can go and work to the reality is most of our elected officials we assume they have this magical metaphor metamorphosis they get elected on election night and they are suddenly brilliant and they know everything about the environment and energy and national defense and ethics and transportation and stormwater. they just have this magical reincarnation when the reality is their folks and they have a life story and they may know everything there is about military warfare but they don't know everything about roads or bridges or public education by being an intern or being a staff member you can literally have an amazing amount of impact by being the go-to person in the office that knows everything about the life science industry uh, you don't necessarily need to be a chemist, but you can understand the impact of it. So learn your craft. If, on the other hand, it's the process, the excitement, and you view it as a marketing challenge or a political science challenge, and you want to help design flyers or 30-second commercials or, or pop-up ads, then become really good at that uh, and, and explain your value to the to the campaigns to do that. So those are the things I would say is don't be discouraged or disheartened because it's loud. It's always been loud. It's just more in your face. So, you know, as we all say, you, you can always turn the phone off or step away from the TV for a few minutes. Uh, Find your passion, learn it, and then go test it and go do it. I would urge you, particularly in your college times and right after college, is the time to go. You know, show up at the front door, email, again, Republican or Democrat, go find the elected official you like, or frankly, as many of us did, which is just find someone who if, if again you're very ideologically driven find someone of the same party and volunteer your time and he or she if they're smart are gonna welcome you in and find a role for you and go do it and go see if you really enjoy it and the reality is look you can grow up in and- I mean, you can be a pharmacist, you could be a web designer. You don't have to do this 24 seven, some people do. But the experience you'll get from seeing it up close, if you open your eyes and ears, you'll see, you'll get to watch the process happen. And it's a a process that is often frustration and often doesn't work. But the times when it does work, it's it's impressive and very rewarding.
1: Great, I think that was some great advice. Um, So do you have any other questions?
0: I don't think we do. Is there anything else you would like to add? maybe uh, where people can find more information about you and your
2: campaign sure so you can find me uh, whether it's uh, on the internet or social media everything is guy for gov so so guyforgov.com or at guy forgov on Facebook Twitter and I'm told I have Instagram so <laughs> please check it out and comment on that uh, and so I have you know folks helping me on that but I think you'll if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook it'll be very quick for you you know very quick read to understand what's the stuff that I'm doing live from the road and adding uh, as I tour a business, and what's the stuff that's a little more professional that that folks who are trained at this stuff do. So I would encourage you to do that. And look, I would encourage you, you know, uh, if, if folks are listening and have ideas, you can contact me uh, through our webpage. I actually read the emails and get them and know what's going on. And I would encourage you to do that. And, I, and for the folks, whether, you, whether Pennsylvania is going to be home for you for a long time, and I hope it's home for everybody here at Villanova uh, and in the community. But whether Pennsylvania is a home for you for the next six months or the next six years, uh, consider getting involved in this race. We're at a critical. A critical point, as we come out of this COVID era, there are a lot of ways we can go through it uh, to try and get to the other side, as we all keep saying, as we're 20 months, you know, let's get to the other side. Uh, I would welcome anybody's help uh, to help me do that, so I would encourage people. If you want to help me, great. If unfortunately I didn't win your vote today, uh, be part of this election. It's a very important election. Find a candidate that you like and roll up your sleeves, jump, jump in, and be a part of it. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to come back. As I say, I drive back and forth campus all the time. We have uh, we have three children uh, of our own, and one of whom lives about five minutes from here, uh, our daughter, Alex, who is getting her master's from LaSalle. So I'm driving by campus all the time to see Alex and our our other kids, Um, one lives in New Orleans, and I have to do my obligatory shout out to Lewis in New Orleans, he graduated (laughs) Loyola. And as we speak, Our youngest is a junior at the University of Cincinnati, go Bearcats, and their quest to make the college football playoffs. She's at the stadium, and I'm sure cheering, jumping up and down in their blackout. So uh, thanks for having me today, and thank you for letting me come back to Villanova and come back to campus and have a reminder of some good memories.
0: Of course, thank you so much for joining us on the air. We really appreciate it, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and this pod will be available as a podcast and perhaps Repeated in our automation. So, if you're interested in re listening to what we've talked about today, feel free to look for us on Anchor. But this is WXVU 891 The Roar. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, Villanova.